You're listening to Comedy Central. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's going on there, Daily Show Ears Edition listener? It's Roy Wood Jr. Look, The Daily Show is on break, so I wanted to give you a quick little podcast recommendation that's also from the Daily Show podcast universe. It's one that I host. It's called Beyond the Scenes, where basically we take segments we've already done on the show and dig a little deeper, see where the issue is now, how the problem has improved or regressed. So in this one, we talked about the history of Confederate statues and why white supremacists are so closely identifying themselves with Confederate ideology from the Civil War. I'm deep diving with filmmaker C.J. Hunt and the founder of Project Say Something, Camille Bennett. Look, if you like the episode, we do new episodes of Beyond the Scenes every Tuesday. And be sure to tell a friend. It's available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is up? Welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the daily show podcast that goes a little deeper into segments and topics that already aired on the show. Like, this is what this podcast is like. All right, like, you know how, like, sometimes you go out and run. You go, like, go, you go jogging. You, you run a mile. And then you feeling so good, you hit that runner's high. And you go another mile. I I guess you might know what that's like. I don't know what that's like, but I am told that as a runner, it is rather rewarding. And that's what Beyond the Scenes is. We are the runner's high for stuff that you see on The Daily Show. Today, we are diving into the issue of Confederate statues. This is a topic we've covered various times on the show. You don't hear about them quite as much these days as you did a few years ago. Are Confederate statues gone? Have they been kidnapped? Where are they? We want to get into their role in American history and the progress that's been made to tear them down. Give it a clip! Do you think that uh, we should just, you know, tear down all Confederate statues? Because a lot of people say that, like it or not, you shouldn't try to erase history. Erase history? Most of these statues that went up, it wasn't even about remembering history. They were put up decades after the war. 
What we think of as these Confederate statues are really much more a product of the 1890s to World War I. Southern states were enacting Jim Crow laws. There was a strong revival of the Ku Klux Klan. They weren't celebrating kind of benign war heroes. They were very clearly um, meant to be things that would intimidate black people and further white supremacy. Look, look I know y'all want to keep your statues, but here's the thing. Slavery is a trauma that black people to this day are still dealing with. And to have to look at those statues, like basically this was like, like basically it's like if a woman got out of an abusive relationship and then she had to keep pictures of her ex up in her house to remember the time. Like, no, I don't need pictures to remember pain. Now, to go beyond the scenes on this topic, we have former Daily Show segment director and director of the PBS documentary, The Neutral Ground, Brother C.J. Hunt, how you doing, man? You you back home in New Orleans? Brother Roy, right good to see you. I'm doing Hello, great. brother. Doing great. That's when you know two black people going to start Hello, talking about brother. something serious. <laughs> brother, how you doing? Brother, man? how you doing? How you really doing, brother? <laughs> also joining us is an activist and founder of Project Say Something, the pride of my home state of Alabama, Camille Bennett. Sister Camille. Sister to doing? Brother Roy, I am hey, well. Sister. Blessed and highly favored. <laughs> it's taking you all the way back to Alabama. Yes, yes, yes indeed. Um, I cannot mm-hmm. wait to get into all of the wonderful work that you have done and are continuing to do in the state. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the drama that the sacrifices you have made along the way in the battle that you're fighting against Confederate monuments. But first, let's break it down, CJ. Why are there so many in the first? They lost, CJ. <laughs> they Did lost. They? Did they? I mean, yeah, I think that. I on think paper, the, they lost. I think that's the question, right? The Confederate monuments are strange because, you know, you can't name another losing army that's erected thousands of monuments to themselves, right? So they're weird for that reason. But the existence of them and how long they have existed and the places they've existed, I think, does push the question of, did the Confederacy lose? Did the white supremacist government that wanted to keep us in chains, right, did that government actually lose, right? So if aliens came down tomorrow and they saw these monuments, they'd be like, so that side won? And we'd be like, no, 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 they lost. And the aliens would be like, so you let them build monuments to themselves? We'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd be like, so these men were fighting to keep black people in chains? Oh, we'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. They were very clear about it. And they'd be like, and those monuments exist in mostly black cities? And we'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 this doesn't make sense at all. So that's that's part of, they are the question mark of white supremacy, of when it is so clear, when we're not talking about reparations or schools or segregation, when we're talking about something as clear as, should a monument to an enslaver exist as the highest point in your city? That still exists in cities still across the country, even after 2020. What was the alibi that they used to justify the erection of all of these statues? Like, was it because I guess the Civil War is interesting in that it was it was family business. This wasn't Germany going into France and there being German statues all over France. This was American on American, well, white American on a white American, well, freed slaves on white American crime. You get what I'm trying to say. What were some of the excuses that they used to justify uh, the erection of so many of these statues? I mean, the most understandable one is this is about honoring the men and this is about the grief that Confederate widows feel. 
And I say that's understandable because we all feel grief when you lose someone. And that's the reason that these Confederate monuments were first built in cemeteries. That's where you go to mourn the dead. So when you look around cemeteries all across the South, the, the monuments look identical to the ones that ended up in town squares. Right? But the question becomes like, how did they ever move out of cemeteries and become the thing that all of these cities are supposed to revolve around, right? In New Orleans, 68% black city, Lee for a century was the highest point in the city. So these things don't start moving out of graveyards until the death of Reconstruction. And for all of us who didn't learn anything about Reconstruction, that just means that when Confederate monuments first start being built, it is after uh, integrated schools are defeated. It is after uh, black politicians are kicked out of their positions. It is after the, the White League and the KKK is running rampant. It's after all of these southern states disenfranchise black voters. That's the moment these things start moving out of graveyards and into the public. Like the first Confederate monument that the nation saw is the Lee Monument in New Orleans. And that monument was dedicated by two dudes, the mayor and the state Supreme Court justice, both of whom already knew each other because they were members of the White League, which was a white militia that killed cops in the streets and, and, and attacked the Capitol. And the president had to send troops to send them away, right? These are the original Capitol rioters. So while it would be insane for us to be like, ooh, that Capitol riot shaman or whatever he calls himself, the notion that he would then Viking get man. a statue, right? <laughs> yeah. the, the notion that any of those Capitol rioters would become government officials and build statues to themselves is insane, but that's exactly what happened with the Confederacy. Camille, CJ is the person who brought your battling your journey to my attention when we were working together on his uh, PBS Neutral Ground film, which we'll talk about in a second as well, CJ. How did you get into, like, walk me through waking up that first day where, because I've always said that the act of activism is selfless. And most selfless people, there is not a lot of money in activism. I don't know nobody that's an activist that's just balling out. Like, I ain't seen no Teslas at the protests is all I'm saying. I mean, like, let me let me just clarify that. This activist has businesses. So, oh, in of terms course. of, because oh, you know yes. a lot of times, no, like, that. the misconception is, like, you, you know, a, a lot of times people, especially black people, are like, in order to do this work, I also have to sacrifice, like, well, my financial well-being. And I'm like, eh, you can get a job, you can get a business <laughs> and still oh. and still and create space so that you can do more work. Understood. Mm -hmm. I guess where I'm going with it is that there is something bigger than money that draws people like you to the work that you do. So, yeah. you know, what was it about this specific issue? Because when you look at Confederate monuments, they are all over the place. According to the SPLC, there's still there's about there was about 300 and almost about 400 statues that have been removed since 2015. And more than half of them happened after George Floyd's murder in 2020. But, you know, I kind of feel like the dust is kind of settling a little bit. How many statues are left? And, you know, what does that fight look like now? And why do you fight this fight? So I have to, I have to give you a little history about where I live. I live in Florence, Alabama. Um, if you remember right around when, when, when the South Carolina church shooting happened, right? Dylan Roof. That Dylan Roof, he mm -hmm. had the Confederate flags and all that's, that's the Neo-Confederate movement. Right here in my city 
we have the leader of the neo-Confederate movement. His name is Michael Hill. He's friends with David Duke, the leader of the KKK. I just saw him in Publix in November, and he is literally the leader of that movement. So once I started to educate myself about not only Confederate monuments, because I'm, I'm not going to lie, I was a regular black kid in Alabama. We weren't thinking about no monuments. We, You know, my mama was like, that's bad for black people. That's all I knew. But once I started hanging out with historians and really understanding where I live, literally, and understanding what was said when that thing was erected, um, they were very clear that it was it was meant to uh, disenfranchise black people. They even called us the mongrel race. So once I read that dedication speech, you can't unsee that. So starting in 2017, we just started kind of picking, poking the bear. Now, we understood we were not in Birmingham. We were in mm -hmm. white nationalists territory yeah. so we ain't we ain't bust out with like take it down no 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 no. we were like can we erect a monument to dread and harriet scott dread scott's case sparked the civil war okay he lived in florence for 10 years let's just kind of ease on can we put it. our monument next to your yeah, monument can we put just your, the... our monument next to your monument just like kind of little ease on into it and then when say? birmingham no <laughs> But we kept picking with them. You know, well, it's racist. This is what it said. And so then we, we created space for when Birmingham, well, y'all, you know you know what y'all did in Birmingham. <laughs> Some so in Birmingham, around the George Floyd time, Listen. we pulled up to a monument um, in Lynn Park and someone got a pickup truck and tied a rope around the monument and attempted to pull it down right there on the spot. The mayor, Rand Randall Woodfin, the mayor, mm -hmm. and, I, and I understand what you're saying because Birmingham is a liberal city. It has a black mayor. Randall Woodfin took the monument down his damn self and paid the $25,000 fine that Montgomery put on Birmingham for removing the monument, which clearly y'all couldn't just do that up there in Florence. No, we would have been killed. But we were just so charged and everybody was hyped up in the community. We live in a community of about 100,000 people. We were just like, you know what? We're demanding. We we sick of playing. We're demanding that you take, you re relocate. We're not even asking you to get rid of it, which would have been a fair ask, like, you know, just to chunk it somewhere. We just ask you to relocate it where it belongs in the Confederate cemetery so it can go die. And and that was when all help. And we also vowed to protest, which also, by the way, is the most reasonable request. Right. Like Very whenever reasonable. whenever <laughs> someone is opposing Confederate monuments, people who want to keep them in place is like, so you want to destroy them? So you want to make them gravel? And it's like, no, literally just move this inside. It's like if you have a roommate and you're like, no, just your underwear doesn't doesn't belong in the living room right like we shouldn't yeah. have to feel uncomfortable because your personal thing is is the center of our communal space just put this inside and i think you know C camille's demand here is is really clarifying that folks are saying move this to a private place put this in the cemetery put this in a museum put it in in the bottom of the river for all get we it care, up but out just, my face my black it, face i don't want to look it in at the it living no room. Yeah. yeah. And we don't. And do we really need to be educated like in that way? Like, oh, because they were, they were, they were put up in a celebratory way. Right. Yeah. Mm. Especially, you know, you got the daughters of the Confederate veterans. Right. UDC, excuse me, United Daughters of Confederate Veterans. These are like public school teachers, you know, putting these things up just to mess with black folks. 
do we have to look at that? I don't want to see it at all. I, I hate it has to go to the cemetery, really. And, and I think that when we yeah. say, you know, when, when someone like Camila is saying like, hey, they put this up to mess with us. I think a lot of folks are like, no, you're making that up. But the historical record is so clear. They were they were saying this stuff out loud at the monument that still stands in front of the Lauderdale County Courthouse that Camille is trying to get down. The dedication speaker goes in on talking about how pure the white race is in Alabama. And then he goes in and tells the United Daughters of the Confederacy that it is their God-given job to make sure that white women aren't sleeping with black men. Listen, he says this as part says, of the speech. nowhere shall black people be accorded social equality and calls us, I'll repeat, the mongrel race. I mean, it, you can't get more blatant than that. And in uh, North Carolina, it's the same thing that the Silent Sam statue that existed on the UNC campus, the, the ex-Confederate who dedicated that goes into bragging about how he used to be able to whip a black woman steps from the I campus can't. who's I running can't. to the campus. Right. So that like every one of these speeches is full of actual evidence about what these folks intended for these statues to be. And whenever folks are trying to talk honestly about that. The people who want to keep them in place would like to pretend that that historical record does not exist. So, Camille, your nonprofit project say something. How does that play a part in what you do now? Because I would imagine that was not the original jumping off point. It was you looking at something every day in your city and going, nah, no more. How did this grow into the nonprofit and what role does your nonprofit play in getting these statues removed? I mean, the nonprofit was founded in 2014 after the Ferguson riots uh, in our area. You know, you could talk about diversity, but you can you can talk about anti-black racism at all, period. So it was kind of on a whim. Someone asked me, like, can you open up some kind of a forum? I did it. Lots of people showed up. We stayed there all night talking about racism. And then it just kind of grew from there. Um, and, we, and we've done, we have other things that we do, right? We work on policy. Uh, we, we, we help black mothers and children. We educate people on the white supremacist legislators we have. We do a lot of other things. But the Confederate monument push was kind of like what put us on the map for whatever reason. We're, we're a board, really, so we're not a member-based organization, but it was mm -hmm. the hard work of Project Say Something that kept us protesting for 29 weeks, five days a week, and got the people energized. Everybody knew us from the work we were already doing. See, and that's what I find so interesting about a lot of this work just in, you know, like if just in my journey on The Daily Show is that, it all starts, you know, sometimes with a singular emotion or a single event. Like, CJ, when you first did Neutral Ground, I think Charlottesville had already happened or you were headed to Charlottesville, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. But that wasn't where you was five years producing this damn thing before it came out. Did you know at the time when you first started, when you first started, it was the New Orleans School Board. It was a it was an issue. It was a it was a local yeah, the city council. And you've talked to people on the Confederate side of this issue. What did you gather from them? Is there is there any chance of getting through to these people? Short answer is no. Um, <laughs> but the you know, my, my entry is different, you know, that that I, I, I am not an organizer. I'm a comedian. Right. So in 2015, 
when we saw the Charleston massacre, when we saw Dylan Roof walk into a church and kill nine black parishioners. And then finally, we have another opening to talk about why Confederate symbols are are so high in so many cities and, and fly above capitals. I was just in New Orleans, not even not even working in TV, just trying to be a comedian, right? Like at the time I was watching pieces by you and Jordan Klepper and Jessica Williams. And even even the, the first map for what eventually became our film was trying to make something as good as the Whitesboro piece that Daily Show made about a town in New York that has a racist mascot, right? A, a racist town seal. So when this started, it was just, hey, the nation had not yet seen Confederate monuments be removed. A lot of white folks couldn't even imagine it. So they were coming to the city council meeting where Take em Down Nola had demanded, hey, these four statues need to come down. And the mayor's like, okay, let's see if we can make this happen. But white folks were at that meeting saying, you better nuke this city if you take down these monuments. This is a knee-jerk reaction to an unspeakable tragedy that took place in Charleston, South Carolina, that's causing race problems that haven't even occurred in this city for decades. The so-called Civil War wasn't about slavery. The war between the states was about succession, not about slavery. If you take out these monuments as nuisances, you really need to nuke the city of New Orleans completely. Where do we stop with all this? Do we go all the way to Washington and take down every memorial there? This is our history. Right? If you take down these monuments, who are we as New Orleans? We have no history. <laughs> you know, a city that's given America jazz and Mardi Gras and, and all of the best things, right? So we started filming at that city council meeting being like, man, how far are some white folks going to go to hold on to just four objects, right? Four, four objects that celebrate slavery. And at first it was just me, you know, doing jokes off an iPad, like, you know, is it okay if we just take the horse or what if we make Robert E. Lee into a urinal so that all of New Orleans around Mardi Gras can bond around peeing on one of our most shameful incidents, right? So that like all of it was like jokes, you know, like you might have at the end of a field piece. But as we were going, the danger was just mounting. So even though the city voted to remove these monuments, almost immediately the city starts getting sued and the contractors whose job it is to remove those monuments get run off the job by death threats and a burning car. So from then it's like, dang, I don't know if this can be a field piece, right? Like once death threats start happening and car bombs start happening, you're like, I don't know what this means for a third act of a field piece. So we just continued <laughs> filming to be like, okay, what if we take that question seriously? How far will some people go to hang? This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On to Statues of the Confederacy. And that ended up being a five-year film that took us to Charlottesville and took us through 2020. But you, you end up really getting to see what this movement looks like spreading to different cities, what the sort of hysteria around you will not replace us looks like as it spreads. So after the break, you know, because CJ, you, your film gives us a wonderful view of the people who drank the Kool-Aid, but Camille has been in there with them lawmakers and them legislatures who are continuing to make the Kool-Aid, and I want to get into... (laughs) They're making barrels uh, of it. (laughs) Poisonous Kool-Aid. After the break, I want to talk, Camille, about some of the hurdles and challenges and repercussions that you've dealt with in, you know, fighting this. And also, where do the statues go after we take them down? We need to talk about that as well. Let's be on the scenes. We'll be right back. Now, Camille... They're in Florence, Alabama. And as you said earlier, Florence ain't Birmingham. And you are a woman that is a proud Florence resident. You ain't hiding. You out here in these streets. You shopping for your groceries. You going to events. You going to the bars with the girlfriends. What are some of the repercussions that you've dealt with? And being a lightning rod for change in a place that is seemingly very resistant to any type of new ways of thinking. I received death threats personally every single, almost every single day that we were protesting. So that's 29 weeks, five days a week, some physical threat. And and they don't burn crosses in your yard anymore. They take it to social media. So a movement was created from our movement of about 7,000 citizens who would, and of course we had intel, who would threaten us all the time. The worst threat I received was someone said they wanted to hang my body from the, from the courthouse, my burnt body from the courthouse. Um, I received physical threats. So a white nationalist tried to run me over, me and two children, by a motorcycle. Um, I received hate mail. Um, I own child care centers. Counter protesters showed up at my child care centers. Um, and it hasn't stopped, right? Because of what happened during the protest, we just made national news last week because we had to, we're suing the police department for the way they treated us while we protested. That's a federal lawsuit uh, by the ACLU. And then what pops up on one of our properties, a White Lives Matter sticker, right? With, with, with a barcode. And you go to that code. This is, this group, this is a national organization. You know, the Proud Boys, right? The Proud Boys mm-hmm. split up, and now you got the Proud Boys and White Lives Matter. So White Lives Matter is literally on the scene now, on, on top of, you know, and we had the Proud Boys during the protests as well. So, and not to mention, I, you, this, listen, the Secretary of State 
Our secretary of state came after me personally. This was around insurrection time. He posted a Twitter that says something about it's a war on white people. The patriots need to start fighting back. Me and a group of black women, we had a response to that. We wrote an open letter. It was 20 other organizations, but he decided to single me personally out and put me on his Twitter. Fight me in the media and Newsweek and all this mess. Just just a sicko. And, and, and right after that, you have um, our attorney general come out and start to threaten us on Twitter and things like that. So, I mean, it, it, it was a statewide situation but at the, at the end of the day. And not to mention the se- secretary of state, John Merrill, came to Florence and held a rally. You know, so it, the threats went from like, they just got bigger and bigger. And at that point, we had to hire, you know, I had to hire a security team. Because I did what do you do? The gravity of that when you first started, even as it got worse and you went, okay, maybe I need to get a gun. Maybe I need to change the way I walk to my car. Maybe I need to change the way I drive to work. Did you see this snowballing to the point of a full-blown security detail? Never. Never. Feeling normal is very important to me. So even as these things were happening, I would just be like, yeah, they just talking, you know, it'll be all right. But it wasn't until, you know, the motorcycle was inches away from my body and I'm looking at this white nationalist and he's like, you know, get out the way. And I'm blocking my, I'm blocking two children he about to hit. That's when I started getting scared. But for a while, you're just riding, you're, you're riding the adrenaline of you're trying to get something done and you got people with you. The people are with you, encouraging you and and um, telling you you can do it. And so you you, you kind of have focus on that. Now, my husband, <laughs> he was in a <laughs> right, right. Now, that brother was was lunching like it was that's where that's why the security I wish your mother knew it. listen the brother was, was was struggling um and that's that that was really when the security team had to happen because he just couldn't be there and i mean it's not like this hyper masculine like but you know you want your wife to come home every night yeah and you're willing to yeah. do whatever like cj how do you i guess to both of you really how do y'all protect your your peace and safety? Because, you know, CJ, I don't know if it was as clear cut like that for you being out with the camera crew versus when you were out promoting the film. And I know that I saw some of the comments under some of the promotional <laughs> posts for Neutral Ground. And there was, uh, was a lot of divisive yeah. discourse. I mean, but I have I have I have it's a it's a whole other world for me because I, I'm in. We have safety because of cameras and, you know, being in the entertainment industry. We have safety because I live in New York at present, right? So I think that that is the thing that when I am out with the film, I th- the, what I'm experiencing from audiences is a feeling that this Monuments thing is done and we did it. And there is a, a, a triumphant feeling like the Monuments are down in, in Charlottesville, the monuments are down in Richmond. But I want folks listening to this to be thinking about Camille's story. The, the story that Camille just told you is happening as we're celebrating monuments down in New Orleans, monuments down at UNC, monuments down in Durham, right? That like 
the national story we tell is that we're doing this thing and that we are winning. And while we should feel a lot of power about being able to take these, it's almost like knocking the bosses out in the video game. You expect the game to be over once the bosses are done. But it's like we have to rework our way through the levels and be like, all the soldiers are still standing? And it's like, I'm not even being rhetorical. All the soldiers are still standing. There are seven, there are, there. you know, when you look at all Confederate memorials, monuments, street names, Southern Poverty Law Center estimates there's about 2,000, right? There's over 2,000 monuments, memorials, street names still named after the Confederacy. If you're talking just monuments, it's 700, right? And of that 700, over 300 are still in front of courthouses. So it's not like Camille is dealing with like the last vestige, like the last monument that happens to be in front of courthouses. Almost half of the monuments that still exist honoring the Confederacy are located at the doors of where we are supposed to receive equal justice and protection. So I I hope folks are thinking like, you know, folks react to me and my family like, oh, dang, was it scary to be in Charlottesville or was it scary to be in a reenactment? Yeah, those things are psychologically scary in the moment. But I want folks thinking about like what it means that in all of these cities where folks do not have Democratic majorities, where folks know your name and know where you work, what it means to to still have to be saying in 2022, why the hell is this in front of the courthouse? How is this not a violation of the Equal Protection Clause? Right. Like the the absurdity, not just of 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 the fact that, you know, the KKK is out there, but that. All Camille is asking for is move this so it's not in front of the place that distributes justice. Like, that is the wild thing to me. I, I want to say that for Project Say Something, it was about the monument, but it wasn't about the monument. It was about social change and revolution. So we, in the process of us protesting, we unseated a racist mayor. Lots of people got fired from their jobs because what we would do is screenshot their racist comments and just send it on up to the boss. Oh, you help with unemployment rate. Listen, right, right. Creating just a a new way of thinking and being was really important to us, not just for Florence, but for Alabama itself. I mean, we kicked up so much dust. We pissed so many people off. I mean, we had legislators coming to Florence doing like anti-Marxist rallies. It, It got bad. And yes, it's still happening. But that's not, I mean, Alabama... What, we had 157 Confederate statues? I think we got down, this is just a guesstimation, maybe between maybe five. So, I mean, <laughs> Alabama shouldn't be celebrating. And one of them we had to pay a fine for removing. <laughs> Which, shout, if, if you are a celebrity or a rich person out there, you should be picking up people's tabs in these states, right? That if that in, if do 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 me or Camille have twenty five thousand dollars to get a, a monument down? No, but if you are a celebrity and you want to be like, hey, Alabama, I got the tab. I will pay I for mean, all of these monuments to come down. Me, you should I do mean, that. And then well, let me just say this real quick too, y'all. Don't forget where y'all came from. You know when you talk about freedom, when you talk about civil rights, when you talk about the the emancipation of black people you you know everybody want to throw shade at Alabama like dang why y'all still live there <laughs> if it wasn't for us you may not have had the liberties that you you know so don't forget about us and there are people who are still here working and to that point and to piggyback off your point sister come most on, prolifically 
the fact that racism is more out in the open in the South in a lot of instances does not mean it ain't happening up. The most interesting thing I found out working with you, CJ, on that documentary was that a lot of these monuments was made in the North. Yes. Yes. Y'all made them and sent them down there to us and they put them in front of the courthouse to make us feel oppression before we walk in there to be unfairly adjudicated. I mean, the only helpful thing about Confederate monuments to me is how clarifying they are about the story that America tells itself. So even as we're removing monuments, we're telling a story like, oh, man, those racist Southerners put those monuments up and finally we're doing the right thing. And if you look at these monuments, many of them were manufactured in the north, right? The Lee Monument in New Orleans, the first towering monument to Lee in the nation was bronzed steps off the NYU campus. Right. So we have this idea that they were put up in the night. This is why organizer Angela Kinlaw would take them down. Nola says these monuments were put up in the daytime. What she means is that every one of those dedications is happening not in secret, not as an FU to the north, but they're happening in the daytime with hundreds to thousands of people around it, special trips and trains down from the north. Uh, If you look at these dedication speeches, there's a section in many of these speeches where they're like, shout out to all my northern friends. (laughs) Thanks for coming. Are y'all having a good time (laughs) in New Orleans? Not to mention, CJ, I always bring this point home. Everybody want to be mad at white men. Them white women was Dirty. United Daughters of Confederacy? Yeah. They raised the money. Those are the and most of them were public school teachers. Children played a big role in those dedication ceremonies. They would have them do little marches and stuff. The UDC put up hundreds of bronze and stone monuments, but they also worked with a much more malleable material. The minds of children. Monuments were considered a gift to future generations, and so they always chose a child to pull the rope that reveals the monument. And they would choose 13 young girls from the community. They would wear sashes, sort of like a debutante, except across the sash would be the names of 13 Confederate states. And then these children would form what is known as a living battle flag. they were erecting these monuments, they were simultaneously poisoning our history, our school books, right? So making sure that they embedded this romanticized, gone with the wind version of the Civil War that still exists today. And they did that, you know, they They did that in the wrong way. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of times people just they don't understand exactly you know, the Confederate monuments were put up to educate or to miseducate. Yeah. And, you to know, miseducate. And, and I, that is one of the things I appreciate about, you know, it t- f- taking five years on a film. Uh, I don't recommend it, but <laughs> but sometimes it needs to go that long. But it is all my time now is spent showing the film to young folks, right? To 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 seventh grade through college kids. That's what you I'm ain't on banned the road. yet. You ain't on the band list. You should be on a couple band lists. No, we are on. School. We are right. Okay. That uh, my the <laughs> film that we are talking about cannot be legally shown in public schools in at least twelve states, right? Mm. Because all of these states have passed white discomfort laws, which they call CRT bans, right? But these are white discomfort laws saying that you can be fired as a teacher for teaching anything that makes a student feel guilt, shame, or discomfort. 
Look up Tennessee's. It's one of the most repressive. Not only does Tennessee allow teachers to be fired for teaching anything that makes kids feel guilt, shame, or discomfort, which, side note, is all history class, right? But they also allow public schools to be defunded up to $5 million of their state funding, right? So that when we're talking about, you know, when I'm, when I'm showing kids a scene about you know, how much the Confederacy wrote down, this is about slavery, right? That's one of my favorite scenes of the film that people are like, this wasn't about slavery. And then you show the actual documents and they're like, number one thing we're fighting for, slavery. Mississippi firmly identifies with the cause of slavery. Louisiana looks to the formation of a Southern Confederacy to protect slavery, right? Like they're just, they're out there. When we show kids a scene of what they actually wrote down, or when we show kids a scene of what the UDC did to, you know, dictate what school boards are rejecting, right? The UDC creates standards that are like, reject a book if it says the war was about slavery. Reject a book if it says masters were unkind to their slaves, right? The UDC, they did that. They get it done. But when we show students now, you know, we just showed them this week. When we show students now these clips of the film, the thing they want to talk about is how that's still happening. The thing they want to talk about is that they're like, white moms are still doing that. And they're doing that more effectively than the UDC ever did, right? If Absolutely. you want to if you want to rewrite how a generation thinks about the story of slavery, it's a lot more effective to pass a law that that dictates what is taught in school than to raise $100,000 for one monument. So but where the they UDC- mess up on these laws, where they mess up on these laws, they always they're not, you know, Republicans they smart till they dumb. So you you want to <laughs> say, you want to say Break that down. You know, break that down. Discomfort. Or so dumb they're smart. <laughs> right, right. Discomfort. Uh, what is it? Divisive concepts. Yeah, yeah. You do. I want listeners to understand, you know that goes both ways, right? So what could be divisive is when you come into the classroom and you talk about civil war and you say states' rights and you completely omit the omission of history can be considered divisive and divisive. And now you can go to the school board or if they allow in Southern rural spaces, the sons of Confederate veterans, you know, they get to come and do little, little uh, assemblies and stuff. If that's allowed at your school, uh uh-huh, little stuff like that, that's divisive. And you can even flip these laws on Confederate monuments because in some States they, they say in, uh, and if if anything that's state funded, Mm-hmm. Anything that's state funded, you can't. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't have these divisive concepts. If you if you do that, right, that, then that applies to Confederate monuments. Who's paying to maintain? That's the state. So you can come right back in, bring your black self in there and say, this Use the law against them. That's what happened in Alabama. That's how we killed the anti-CRT legislation um, that came through in 2022. We started helping them understand like it goes both ways. We can flip it. Tell us how you killed that. Hold that for after the break because I want to put a button on this whole conversation. I want to find out how you made that change and what we can do about these statues going forward. How do we keep this fight going? And... I got a couple solutions. We need to put our heads together on where these statues can go because that's 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 part of the problem too. We can't get rid of the statue. We they don't want to put it in the cemetery. We got to come up with some different solutions. So let's do that after the break. This is behind the scenes. <laughs> so Camille, before the break, you were talking about a CRT law that you were able to successfully get undone there in the state of Alabama, and you've done a lot of legislative work in the state with regards to. Confederate monuments. Walk us through that process of lobbying. Like, what are the steps that it takes to get a statue removed? I guess specifically in Alabama. Let me be clear on lobbying as it related to Confederate monuments. No lobbying. We did no lobbying around that issue. Um, Alabama was flooded with anti-Black and inhumane bills this session so you literally and and by the way there were there were bills around confederate monuments that were directly like attacking the work that we did like making it a felony to put chalk on a monument you know somebody chalked a monument just just, they just got crazy but it was so bad that you had to choose between human bodies like anti-protest laws and what they were doing to child care which affects Black women and children disproportionately so, and uh, also anti-CRT bills that you couldn't even focus on stone because at the end of the day, right, yeah. that's stone. But in terms of of how to get a monument down, we're still figuring it out. Our monument is still up. But what I can say is if you are fighting to get a monument down, keep fighting, but take your eye off of that piece of stone. You got work to do, especially if it's been up for a really long time. That, that you know what that means? I mean, your city is racist. A lot of racism there. A lot of a lot of white supremacist culture there, and you have so much work to do around that to dismantle that. Um, that you know, when the, when the statues come down, it comes down. You can keep on fighting towards that. I mean, we we fight them in the courts. Uh, they put up an injunction. So you can't even remove it if you wanted to. We we filed an amicus brief and intervened. So now we wait 90 days. We got to go back to court. I mean, it's a process, but you you can't you can't just say, "Well, I'm trying to take a monument down and until it goes down, I'm just go home or I'm just going to talk about this." You have a multitude of issues to talk about and that's white supremacy. You can find it everywhere. 
Which is also why it makes sense that Project Say Something is is working to fight the hysteria over CRT because it's like you ha- you can have your eyes set on being like, dang, Robert E. Lee shouldn't be here. But while that's happening, while you are petitioning a court or or a local government to take that down, a state government is passing laws to make it illegal for you to tell kids what Robert E. Lee and, did. And, and I want you to know this. Nice. So you talked about lobbying in Alabama. This is my first year. Oh, my God. Woo. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I was talking to Republicans, which I thought I would never do. I mean, I had I had my mind. I don't know what I thought I was gonna do, but I wanted to actually like talk to and and, and have conversations with with white Republican men who who were actually sponsoring bills like anti CRT. So um, Representative Oliver, that's who who uh, was actually sponsoring the anti CRT bill. He told me that it was about activism. It was not. I need y'all to understand. Yes, the children and the teachers. We're, we're like they're experiencing this too but the root issue is he wanted to stop activism this man told me that he believed that what did he say that the george floyd and all of the black lives matter and all that stuff that's what caused racial discourse for this that's the root of it so Ooh. he wanted to do something and, and, and he was smart. And, you know, the Republicans were smart. They were like, where is all this rhetoric coming from? All, all this, this, these intelligent conversations. Let's figure it out. CRT did it. That's what's energizing the people. So that's, that was the root cause of it. Um, what we had to do to fight the legislation is have conversations. Like I had a three-hour conversation with a representative and just kind of try to help him understand how it goes both ways. It's going to go both it's, ways. It really feels like marriage counseling without the counselor. Mm. Like, in trying, two people trying to get through to one another. Like, don't you understand this issue? No, and by the way, if you speak about it again, we're going to lock you up. And it seems like there's a long orchestrated attack of not just trying to run out the clock, legally through just a bunch of legal paperwork and come back to court and continuances but it's also setting laws in place that keep that present new hurdles for you while also running a multi-pronged attack like you said i I love that that it's just stone but also abortion trans rights anti-gay and anti-black and crt and that all becomes part of the conversation, so it's hard to deal with that while also trying not to be run over by a psychopath on a motorcycle. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta choose your pain. You gotta <sighs> choose your pain. But, but anyway, when it came to killing the anti-CRT bill, I mean, we did a public hearing. Um, there were other organizations involved as well, um, and and this was a coalition, right? Of but we, but Project Say Something and and the coalition called the public hearing. Project Say Something was at the forefront of that. In that public hearing, we we explained to them how <laughs> you were they were going to be impacted as well, and then we just kept showing up. We sent information cheat sheets to republicans and democrats we tried we came up with amendments we did everything we could to kill it and then one day we looked up and it was dead um and there wasn't a lot of protesting around the issue to be honest it was just you know elbow grease really um but we don't know it could come back 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the yeah, that's the, Alabama. Yeah. It's gonna come back. It, it, that's the subtitle. If this was back. a franchise, it's like white supremacy. It could come back. The Confederacy. It, it could come back. It could come back. So you just kind of repeat the same cycle, but lobbying was not easy. Where do these statues go after they? T- so there, there's this guy, and we we gotta try and get him on the show, CJ. Uh, uh, Devon Henry, right? Mm-hmm. He's a contract, black contract, black brother out of Richmond. He's one of his, those black brothers. One of them black brothers. His only function in life for the last two years has just been riding around the southeast with his trucks, taking down Confederate monuments. Like they've taken down like almost like well over 20 monuments just in various cities all over the southeast. And I want to ride with him just to see where are we dropping them off at. Like, forget the bulletproof vest. Forget yes. risking your life. What is the final destination for these places, number one? And number two, Camille, just as a broader point, should black people be the ones getting paid to take these down? Is that, like, a good thing? Is that a good black business? Or should white people be the ones? <laughs> should it be? I'm or should torn. it be a white business I'm, who takes it down and gives I'm the money to black communities? Black- reparations. Now, wait a minute now. You, you done got to the point... The city got to the point where they taking it down. Yeah, our brother should get that money. Cause think about it. <laughs> Reparations. Yes. It's it's and it's so wild you because know, as you describe right. him, it almost sounds like a Johnny Appleseed of our day, right? Like like this one person who has to go like that sounds like a fable, right? Like there is a man who travels the country to take the statues down. <laughs> like right? John like John Henry Wapping. He some John some down. John Henry esque with this modern with his modern his hammers. name is Devin Henry. <laughs> oh wow. Wow, that's the storybook. But but also like when you look at this, that's just the that's the absurdity. In New Orleans, it came to a point where the white mayor, right, couldn't find any any cranes even though the city is full of cranes, right? Everyone, you know, these white businesses were like, don't let him, don't give him the tools to take it down. So he had to call in a business from Atlanta, right? He had to call in black contractors from Atlanta to come in and take it down in the middle of the night wearing SWAT gear, right? So it's just this, Mm. it's it's a portrait of the obstacles that, that white supremacy puts in place to even move its stuff let alone destroy, let alone redistribute the wealth from. But like, if you want to move that, we will make you move. We we will make it so that a black man has to come in from out of town and do this in the middle of the night wearing a bulletproof vest. But there's also something really hopeful to that, that when when the Lee Monument went up in... Um, in 1890, the the black paper said out loud, the black editor of the paper said out loud, the Negro put these up and he's going to be there to take these down when it's time. So there's also mm. like a beautiful poetry about seeing black people be like, yeah, it's it's actually time. It's been time. And we're going to take these down and figure out new uses for those spaces. In Charlottesville, they were considering at one point boiling that monument down and making a new piece of art out of the boiled Ooh. metal, right? Beautiful. Like, That's And beautiful. so there's the, the realm of imagination that we can have around what to actually put in these spaces that uplift folks, where to actually put the old statues. We, we, think, we think in the world this is the only rogue government who put up statues to themselves. Like... Look to what happened to the statues of Hitler and to the statues of the leaders of the Soviet Union, right? Like those aren't still up in town squares. Those those places figure out places to put those that are not speaking for everyone. 
You know, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the brother who, you know, you made that really real, the SWAT gear and all of that. And, and just to take it, take it seriously. I mean, when you think about should we have to, it's a, t- it's a, it's a mixed bag. No, we shouldn't have to feel, un- we shouldn't have to and be unsafe and get death threats and have to deal with the mental anguish of fearing for your life as you take them down. But then as a, as a business owner, I'm like, you know, you do, you could have like a monopoly on it. That's a good and like, you know, you know, and I don't know how much you charge in to do this, but the you know, most. that, that, the most good, <laughs> but that, that could be a positive. With the eternal vigil, they refused your suggestion to move it to a cemetery there in Alabama. So where else can we move them? Let's just bounce, let's just bounce around. Cause I've, I kind of like the idea, CJ. I feel like did you did this make the edit of Neutral Ground of just like a Confederacy park where it's just you put them all in one spot, like in Atlanta. I love they that. have um, Stone Mountain, where's Robert E. Lee and them. It's like a little. It's a bootleg Mount Rushmore. It's a Confederate yeah. Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah. And Mount Mount Rushmore, but with more races. Hold yeah, up, Mount- y'all. Though. Wait a minute. My sister Maymuna, she live over there. Black mm-hmm. people live at Stone Mountain. They don't want that stuff around around yep. them. You know, but maybe somewhere that's white, like a white place they can like Utah, I don't know, like a <laughs> I mean, that's the problem with parks though, right? Like Stone Mountain is the biggest Confederate monument in the country, literally carved into a mountain. The UDC originally wanted that to be a monument to the KKK. They said this out loud. They wanted riders in sheets on Stone Mountain. But the problem with parks is that if it's a public park like it is in Stone Mountain, people use the fact that black people go there as justification for keep, that the monument is okay. How many people it's in nice. Georgia have said out loud, well, if it was a problem, why would black people go to the park? So it, wherever you put it, it needs to be a, almost a private space where just people going to have a picnic doesn't doesn't get spun as somehow support for the self-contained. thing. Self-contained. Yeah. And then, I mean, in a perfect world, you know, I'm not against destruction, like burning them or like making other art. I mean, I don't think that's going to work for the rural South. So right? then do we create like a, like just a little corner of the city where you have all the statues. <laughs> and yeah, just welcome to Confederate corner. There. Like, you know, when you go to a baseball game or a sporting event, they have all the legendary athletes out in front. Yes. Of the city. That's right. Like, like that. But like just a little section of town, like because these folks ain't gonna let go of whatever it is they hanging on to. So if you turn the statue into gravel and let kids play on it, the playground's gonna be some problems. So right, right. The biggest problem is where can you move it without it becoming a shrine, right? So if you turn it into gravel, are folks still gonna come and be like, oh, I'm collecting the gravel of my of my ancestors. This is some good Confederate gravel right here. Or if you move it into museums, right? Like all a, a bunch of the um, the monuments in Richmond are being moved into museums. The question of Black History museums when they take in a Confederate monument. On one side, it's like, ooh, we can really we can really tell the truth about this thing. We can really bring the shame forward about what was said, and it's indoors. But also, I don't want to be at a Black History Museum and then see <laughs> neo-Confederates coming there to teach their sons about how good Robert E. Lee is. I so think it's like, you could have that. You could have a Confederate part of a Black History Museum and just call that, that exhibit the supervisors. Yes, yes. 
Go, you, no, but you have to. You no, have to go into no, the basement. Be on that one. You have to go what into the basement. What bothers me the most about it is white people. Why do you need these monuments were created again to intimidate black people? You can go to the cemetery and and and, and see your your deceased loved one. There, nothing is stopping you. But why do you have to have these monuments, these shrines to white supremacy? Why is that so important to you? Because they were definitely erected on the premise of intimidating black people. So why does that need to stay for you? You need to understand why they were erected. Why do you need this? Because lies are more comfortable than the truth. And it's easier to live in what you've been taught rather than unpack why it may not be the truth at all and then have to question everything that you've ever been taught. And it's red pill, blue pill land at that point. Going forward, Camille, what's next for Project Say Something? What's the next horizon? Because I know we still have, you know, the statues themselves that you all are fighting for. But what what are what are some other things that are on the horizon for your organization? Um, well, we what new oppressions? To, That's what, what I'm trying to ask. What new oppressions? What's the new uh, oppression? Well, what's the like hot I new said, oppression hitting these streets? The hottest. The hottest is now we we have to be in federal court, right? We made the Post and the L.A. Times and all the, the big spotlights because we have to fight our police department for how they treated us and, and the, the vague noise, noise ordinances and how we had to silently protest because we couldn't even use our voices anymore without the threat of arrest, right? Um, so now we're fighting in federal courts, the ACLU, Duke Law, and the National Lawyers Guild is fighting um, in federal courts. And, and, the, the most, and it's, not a, it's not a victory, really, right? It's really sad that it had to go that far. We spent a year and a half trying to negotiate with police, with our local police department when they were, they were completely silent. They would not work with us. And now we're, you know, in federal court, which is not fun, right, at all. So that's one fight. We will continue to fight anti black legislation across the state of Alabama. We will continue to fight for equitable child care policy. That's something that really, really disproportionately affects black women and black and brown children. Um, oh my goodness. We are doing the the healthcare navigator grant. So we're helping black people get access to the marketplace. I mean, we have all kinds of projects that we do all of the time. What's next is we continue to expose white supremacist culture in Alabama and join forces and coalition build. Um, And it's a work in progress all the time. CJ, is there plans for the neutral ground to more More neutral? More (laughs) neutralist? Still still not neutral. It's never been neutral. (laughs) Neutral ground too. (laughs) Um, Too fast, too neutral. You know, I, I wanted to take time before we had a sequel, you know, like, you know, when you when you spend five years making a movie, you're not immediately like, let's get back out there. But our sequel just kind of happened naturally. Right. Like discovering that your own film about the Confederacy, about how white women were able to rewrite textbooks to make people think slavery was fine. Right. To discover that that film is now banned in over 12 states that's a natural sequel. So that is what I've been spending my time on as we show the film to young folks of just being on the road and trying to show what this panic over critical race theory actually looks like, right? North Dakota just passed their law and it says that for the purposes of this law, you cannot teach kids 
that racism is anything besides individual bias. So it is illegal in North Dakota to teach folks that racism exists outside of I don't like some people. So that, that's what I'm spending my time on, trying to be in communities and be like, what does this, what does this fight look like? What does, it look, what, is, what does critical race theory mean to people who are not white and are not screaming? What does it look like for, for you know, folks who have been in these communities, who have been before the CRT panic, being like, hey, we need some, you know, like one Wilco in Williamson County, Tennessee. They're like, for years, we've just been saying we need school policies for what happens when someone calls my kid the N-word, right? And then because of this, hysteria, then the the attempt to get actual policies to protect children of color is now being cast as woke education and critical race theory. So that's the that is the that's the sequel that we're making. Why is it illegal to show the neutral ground in 12 states? (laughs) Well, I I wish we did not have to make it. Well, listen, you you just got to keep with every adversity. With, with every negative, you can make it into a positive every time and, and just keep educating people based on whatever happened, whatever they throw at you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's it's almost like the moment where where in a sci fi movie you kill the monster and then the heroes look up and they're like, oh, no, the monster's in the air. Right. It's like right, we, we, right. we pulled up these Confederate monuments, but then the particles have gone <laughs> into the air and have now become laws that are stronger than the monuments themselves and could Absolutely. could could end up lasting longer. So as we are panicked wow. about the Glenn Youngkins coming to power, as we are panicked about all these states, you know, passing stop woke and don't say gay and trying to ban all these books, both about race and about gender. I do think we need to tell success stories like Camille is talking about in Alabama, that there are places where we are beating back candidates who are trying to scare white people into believing that black people are taking something from their education. Right. That in Tennessee, the very women's moms group that tried to ban a Ruby Bridges book failed. There are districts all over the country where we are winning and and showing that parents actually want their kids to learn history. So I think that's a story that we need to keep telling, too, that like the enemy is it is in the air, but we are also doing our work. And also just to speak on the Confederate monument thing, what one of my biggest irritants was when like other cities would be like, well, we got ours down. You didn't. Like, so, <laughs> did you kill racism? <laughs> did, so, did you kill racism? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, you've been out there for seven years. You might, you're probably not doing it. I'm like, it's like, sir, you still disenfranchise voters. <laughs> sir, you, you just elected a governor. We have some other things to focus. Again, it's so, it's symbolic, but like, you gotta, you gotta look at the bigger picture at all times and know that there's plenty of work to be done. Well, Camille Bennett, thank you for the work that you have done and thank you for the work that you continue to do. CJ Hunt, I will see you somewhere around New York City. And uh, whatever your next endeavor is into racism, count me out. I want no parts of that. Good stress. luck. <laughs> Good luck with whatever racist reenactment you decide to show face at this time. Because I know you're going to up the ante. And Thank I you want so no much. part of your tiki torch extravaganza. Sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> Daily Show listeners, you heard it here. Roy is 100% part of it. <laughs> I need to just say quickly, um, Project Say Something is grossly underfunded, like many grassroots organizations that are founded and led by black women um, donate to us. Like, I understand people care. All the emails are fine, but 
your, your, your funds are needed. Um, we are underfunded and we need funding. You can go to www.projectsaysomething.org and donate anytime. I'm good. Put me down for 500 right now. What? Let's go. Projectsaysomething.org, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, you, you All right. You text, a reminder text, and you got no, it. No, I'm going to do it right now. You go over to it. Trust me, I'm my mama going to hear okay. this. And my mama, my mama, hold, my mama listen to every episode of this podcast. Okay. Now, you All make right. sure well, to send some money to that young woman. You make sure you do that, boy. Put me down for 600 because I care more than Roy. Wow. Oh, wow. you're going to start this shit. Wow. This wow. is shit you're going to start at the end <laughs> of the like, podcast. Oh, listen, listen, listen. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, it's for the people. Thank you. I'll match the six. Oh. Everyone, this is what you should be doing with your friend group. You should be like, I'm donating to Project Say Something. You should join me. Well, let me go do that right now before I forget, because I do be forgetting. Uh, Camille Bennett, CJ Hunt, thank you so much for going beyond the scenes with us today. Thank you. Hey, if you or somebody you know wants to help out Project Say Something, feel free to head over to www.projectsaysomething.org to donate to this amazing organization. This has been a special preview of Beyond the Scenes from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Don't miss new episodes every Tuesday. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.